podcast. Today I am going to be interviewing an author and a survivor of narcissistic abuse. Her name is Maggie Petrocki and she wrote the book called Escaping the Egyptian Narcissist. And I met Maggie a few years ago and I wanted to have her on to share some of her story so that you can find your own inspiration for healing from an emotionally abusive relationship. Maggie was just 19 years old and she was wide-eyed and experiencing the world and ran into someone who she thought was going to be good for her who ended up being really, really bad. And the story is about her escape from this person. And I want to share it with you on this podcast as well as hopefully you can take away some ideas and some new thoughts about healing for yourself so that you can use those things to heal along your journey. Also, if you enjoy this podcast, I would be so grateful if you would just take a couple of minutes to leave a review for me. I love reading your comments and it really helps this healing information to reach more people and a bigger audience. So thank you so much for listening and stay tuned. Welcome to the Emotional Abuse Recovery Podcast, a podcast specifically designed to help you heal after a toxic or narcissistic relationship. This podcast teaches you to use your subconscious mind to go from feeling stuck to set free. In here, you will learn how to use the power of your own mind to free yourself from emotional pain, move forward with confidence, and experience the inner peace you deserve in your healing journey after emotional abuse. I'm your host and subconscious reprogramming coach, Allison Dagny. So let's get started. Hey everyone, thank you so much for joining me on a very special episode today. I have a really special guest um, who I have known for quite some time when I first started um, getting my book out there. She and I connected because she's also an author and she's been through a very similar experience um, with a narcissist. So I'd love for you to go ahead and introduce yourself to everybody here today. Hey guys. Hi Allison. Thanks, thanks for having me on your podcast. I am Maggie Petrocki, and I am a German-American Greek, a weird combination of many places, and I survived a narcissist basically when I was pretty young. I was 19. I can't believe, by the way, that was almost 10 years ago at this point. Like, this just dawned on me, like, wow. Um, And he was an Egyptian guy, and... I'm sure we'll get into it as the podcast goes on, but uh, basically I wrote a whole book about what happened to me there. It's called Escaping the Egyptian Narcissist. And yeah, it's, it's a, it's a big story. And um, you know, you and I are, are, are the result of, you know, really hard work and survive narcissists. And like, people can see that like, there is another side, like you can, you know, build yourself up again and you know just live again yeah sorry that's a very long intro that's okay no it's great I'm I'm glad you're here because I want to talk about some um, specific things Um, but first and foremost because the book that you mentioned um, and we'll we'll link that at the end in the show notes too um, 
it's called escaping the Egyptian narcissist, right? And this is going to be a little bit different for some people because maybe they haven't experienced this type of narcissism, the cultural narcissism. And that's what we're going to talk a little bit about. We're going to talk about the love bombing and all of that too. But why did you write this book? Like what was your motivation to write it? Um, My biggest motivation was to heal. I think that was number one because I realized really quickly that writing about what happened made it real and I kind of lived through it all through putting it on paper and then of course I realized after that that other people could read this and learn from it and you know get a tip or two how to you know (laughs) basically build yourself up again and I saw the value in that and yeah so it was basically for for me and to help others heal. Okay so when you had said you know, that that actually was really helpful. Did that help you with acceptance? Because you said it made it real. Did it help you with like the acceptance of what actually happened so you could move forward? Would you say? Yeah, yeah, I would say so. And I should also say that you you like relive all that hurt and that fear and that suffering, just the trauma. Like you have to go through it in order to, move on, you know, and you learn to forgive through doing that. And I think those are really the steps that you have to go through in order to overcome it. Yeah. That's, that's really interesting that you said that because I, I experienced that too, writing my book. Now I always had the intention of publishing it and getting it out there for awareness for people, but I didn't know it was going to be so cathartic, so healing during the process. And um, I just did a podcast recently about the stages of grief that you go through and um, talking about how you actually have to go through each stage. You can't just sit in one stage, sit in sadness, sit in depression, sit in the education and the learning phase. Like you actually have to go through each individual phase in order to get to the other side for healing. So I love that you mentioned that. And I love that that was um, part of why you decided to write it because not only was it helping you, but now other people can look at that, can read the story and then realize and understand and be inspired that there is healing after this type of abuse. So for sure. So because you are younger, when this happened, you were really young and, um, and compared to me, you still are young, <laughs> but not by that much, come on. <laughs> but who were you, who were you hoping would, it would help the most? Like, I guess if you had like a target audience, who would that be for this book? Um, I would like to think that it would help anybody who goes through something like this, but in like, just to like real talk, probably, um, anyone from, you know, 15 onwards, let's say like a younger target audience Mm -hmm. to anyone, you know, up to 35, 40, you know, just, okay. Especially for people going through their first relationships, I want to say. Yeah. Well, and I think that's really important too, because a lot of people, especially like me, for instance, you know, I've already been through this, but my girls are teenagers, right? They're 15, 16, going on 17 years old, and they're experiencing these relationships and they're experiencing these 
uh, behaviors from, you know, the boys that they're dating. And I will allow them to read your book because they're approaching that age where I think it's really, really vital for them to understand and know, because I can say it till I'm blue in the face, you know, watch for this and don't accept if somebody does that. And, you know, this is a red flag. I can say all of those things to my kids, but I think a lot of times it's, um, it falls on deaf ears when it's your mom, you know, like your mom, oh, yeah. you're like, okay, mom, roll in your eyes and move it on. <laughs> so, so this is really going to be helpful. I think for, especially our listeners, but if those listeners have young girls too, that they can for sure. share it with. So thank you. So the first thing, there are two themes that I noticed in your book when I read your book and it is a, a great book. Um, it's a super easy read and I just flew through it. Um, what, I noticed was there were two things, cultural narcissism and how young love and love bombing pulls you into this toxic and abusive relationship. And I think it's important that we talk about both of those things. Um, And you can start with either one. If you want to talk about like the young love and the love bombing part first or the cultural narcissism, like, did you feel like that was a big part of um, what you went through as far as the emotional abuse and the narcissistic abuse? Oh, wow. Two big ones. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, let's, let's start then with um, cultural narcissism, because this is something really important that I want to stress, which is that narcissism exists everywhere. Like people will think looking at this title that like, oh, this is some, you know, person undermining Egyptians, not at all, not at all. Basically what I describe is how narcissism showed itself in this particular culture, you know, and how that um, develops in then a relationship, but it could look totally different somewhere else. It's, but the, the form of abuse and the way it functions, the core foundation of how, you know, you, you get attacked or however you want to put it is the same. Okay. You know what I mean? Yeah. So So, can we talk a little bit about your story and your experience and how that did show up in the relationship? Well, I mean, let me, let me start by saying that Egypt can be um, described as a place that is like very, I always struggle pronouncing this word, but patriarchal. Yeah. Patriarchal. (laughs) Yeah. Thank you. And um, that shows itself in the way he was he was a very um macho type um controlling jealous um i i basically had kind of like the wifey role i wasn't allowed to have um a career he didn't want that for me um any kind of like hobbies that I had, he would kind of have to approve them. If he thought that they weren't appropriate for a woman, he would voice that all the time. Um, and gosh, so many other things that I could talk about. Like, for example, um, he would try to manipulate me into um, basically believing in God and, and, and his religion, um, Islam and that just wasn't for me. You know, I was ra- born, raised an atheist. I believe in, you know, other things. It was not that. So of course I was respectful of it. And I would listen to him when he explained things to me, but he would do it in such a way that was so manipulative. And I actually found myself starting to believe those things 
because also out of fear, because he would always kind of twist it in a way that would make me feel like, my God, like, I don't start believing that what's going to happen to me. And I had never had thoughts like that before my whole life, you know? So um, it was really severe type of narcissistic abuse. Um, and I just became a shell of myself or a shadow of myself, I should say. And yeah, I mean, that that's kind of just scratching the surface of what it was like to be in a relationship with a narcissist who happened to be Egyptian. But I'm sure a lot of the things that I said resonate with people who dated someone completely different or in a marriage with someone completely different, but it also happens to be a narcissist, you know, like there's similarities, but again, the culture showed itself through the relationship as well. And in the abuse. Yeah. And you wrote about a little bit about that in your book with like his parents and, you know, being in the same house as them and how his mom would act and, you know, the different behaviors and stuff. And so again, this isn't to say that all people who are of a specific region or a specific area or have a specific culture are narcissistic, but it does right. show itself because it's a real thing, like generational trauma, cultures, mm-hmm. cultures have beliefs. Those beliefs stem into people's behaviors and what they think is right and what they don't. And then a lot of times it manifests in abusive ways like this. So um, was it really shocking to you to see these differences? Because, you know, you you didn't grow up in an Egyptian family, you know, so you grew up in a German-American family. So right. how did that, when you got in there, like, how, how was it like to see all of that stuff and how it was kind of showing up? Interestingly enough, this ties into the love bombing topic mm-hmm. because, um, let me start from the beginning, shall we? <laughs> Let's go. Um, I was a freshman in college in Greece and he came all the way from Egypt as a study abroad student. I was born and raised in Germany. You know, I I had never really traveled the world that much, maybe in Europe a little, but that's just, you know, what happens when you live in Europe, but I hadn't really seen the world. I'll just put it that way. And when I met him, this Egyptian, you know, like, Egyptians, you know, you think of Egypt and you're like, wow, it's so exotic. It's so interesting. It's like, you know, ancient history, you know, you're, you're fascinated by it from the get-go. So he said he was from Egypt. I had never met an Egyptian before. And God, he was so charming. He was so charming from the very beginning, you know? And I was just, it was like, it was like a drug. You know what I mean? Like I was addicted to his charm the way he was and the the sick part about it was that through all that charm there was this really dark side of him that he would show sometimes in the beginning so like in the beginning it was like all this like love bombing like saying give me compliments being charming being nice you know and all of a sudden like a little flash a little hint of whoa that's dark and scary who's that you know like saying a strange comment or kind of giving controlling me in a certain way or like it it was odd it was strange but I kind of overlooked those moments thinking like well he's charming most of the time so it must be fine everybody has their weird sides you know and then slowly but surely it started becoming more and more and more to the point where it was more abusive than it was healthy and it was so tumultuous then in those like first 
few months that we were together, by the way, we were together within a week, I should say. <laughs> that says it all, actually. But within those months, I was just yelled at and controlled and manipulated. And uh, it was just, it was awful. And then he would come around and, and be so nice again. And it was, it was so confusing. And then you find yourself getting really addicted because you're like, waiting for the moment that he's nice again to you you know it's it's really strange how that works but that's the love bombing um you know that that's just how it works yeah. it's and really like, strange yeah and what you're describing sounds what well, well there's two things is the trauma bond right but also the cognitive dissonance where that confusion comes up because it's the <clears throat> slow drip or the frog in the boiling pot of water you know it's erosion on a slow pace where everything's great at the beginning but then there's a little by little they start valuing you they start controlling you more they start criticizing you more they start rolling their eyes at you or doing those like sort of uh, comments under their breath or whatever it might be and so we have this confusion about who who is this person and then what happens is we start self-doubt we start doubting ourselves like well like you said well he's nice most of the time but then sometimes he does this or he's nice you know when we're out with friends but then when we're home he acts different you know so there's like these levels of confusion that we go through constantly when we're with somebody like that but I like how you describe it because that really is the red flag. Like the major red flag is that when we start seeing those kinds of behaviors changing at a little pace or very slowly, and then we don't trust ourselves. we like push it aside or we ignore right. it or, you know, want to put our heads in the sand. I mean, is that, that's how I, I think I did the same thing early in my relationship And then it ends up snowballing to the point where you're like, oh my gosh, you know, now you're at a point where you got to write a book called Escaping the Egyptian Narcissist because you literally have to escape. You had to get the heck out of there. So what kinds of things was he doing as far as like the love bombing part at the beginning? I mean, obviously you were quite enamored by him and the exotic nature of where he was from and, you know, being from a different place. And, but what was he doing things that were what you would consider love bombing? Well, he, let me put it this way. Like he did everything that you would expect to see in a rom-com. Wow. You know what I mean? Like he would show up with gifts and he would take me out for dinner and he would say all the nicest things, all the things that I wanted to hear my whole life. You know, I was insecure it's a perfect victim for a narcissist, very insecure. And he would be like, you're so beautiful. Oh, I love the way that dress looks on you. And I was like, oh my God, wow, I must be so awesome or something. I don't know, you know? And I thought that he was literally my soulmate because of those things. I was like, oh my God, this is meant to be. I finally found the one, you know, because of those things that he was doing. I mean, it, it, I was, like I said, the perfect victim. You know what I mean? And that's what I worry about a lot of times with these, especially young people, because I was once 19 and I ended up in the relationship. You were very young when you got in, you were 19 when you got into the relationship. And it's like, we have these ideas that are sold to us by the media, by society, 
by even just our parents and things like that we're going to run off into the sunset and we're going to get married and live happily ever after. And we need someone in order to be whole or to be okay. Or if like, if you're getting old and people are like, oh, you're not married yet. Oh, you're not dating someone. It's like these sort of innuendos and things that cause us to, I don't know, feel like maybe we need to jump into a relationship or maybe we need to just look for that soulmate or be with somebody. And I think it's really, really important to show people um, especially our young people, like you said, because your target might be 15 and up, right? That that this is not necessary, right? Especially if you're yearning to do it or you need that validation from someone else or you need it just to be in a relationship, then what happens is we end up settling for abuse or we end up settling for these people who, who are exhibiting red flags. And then we end up, in your case, 10 years later, in my case, it was 20 years later, and like, what the heck has happened to me? Like, what is going on? And I think it's really, really important, especially that we, I know you don't have any children, but but you can speak from a person of a very young age of why this is so important. Because if we don't have that self-worth and we don't have, you know, these ideas that we don't need to be, you know, pushing for this and pushing to, to you know, be in relationships with people. Like, I think it's, there's a lot more depth to it than just that but to know that we can be whole within ourselves. And so this actually brings me to my next question for you, unless you had something to say about that. I mean, the only thing I I wanted to add to that was um, the society that we grew up in didn't help. Like I grew up, I don't know about you, maybe it's just my personal upbringing, but I grew up with a lot of bad role models, you know, a lot of um, misogynist guys, not bad ones, but you know, like they, they, it's not like I was hit. It's not like I was yelled at, but I saw enough, um, let's call it misogynist behaviors that, um, made me believe that I should serve a man. I should, um, be dependent on one, you know, I should, uh, cook for this guy whenever he wants, or, don't do the laundry. I got that covered. Like I really thought those stereotypes were something that I should follow. Like I really, really believe that. So yeah, the society set me up for this. I want to say. I'm really glad that you brought this up because the work that I do to help people on my podcast and in my coaching is all about subconscious healing. It's all the things that we've been programmed with throughout our lives by our parents, by society, by our teachers, friends, like our traumas and our experiences. And so when I hear you say things like all the shoulds, like should is a word that I cannot stand, right? Because it imparts all that judgment, right? And if we're not living by those judgments, there must be something wrong with us. So when you're talking about the stereotypes of how we should be and what we should do and who we should serve and who we shouldn't and like all of that stuff are are what live inside of our subconscious. And if we don't challenge those things in ways that you did later, and then I know the work that I do also is if we don't challenge those things, then we end up, you know, going down this road of unhappiness, of emotional exhaustion, of feeling unworthy, you know, when reality ends up being something different than what we think in our brains on repeat constantly. So I'm so glad you brought that up because it's really, really important that we become aware of those things that we are aware of like, oh gosh, my whole life, people have been saying I should 
you know, rely on a man to take care of me. And I'm like, wait a minute. I don't really think I want to do that. Like, I want to be independent. I want to do something different for me. So just because it's been that way for, you know, however many years or however many generations doesn't mean we can't challenge it. So I I love that you brought that up. So I love to focus on healing. It's called the Emotional Abuse Recovery Podcast for a reason. And I know that you've come a long way on your healing journey. Um, And there were, and you write about this, some self-destructive behaviors that you went through. Um, before you got to where you're at now. So would you mind to address some of that and talk to us a little bit about what that looked like? And then, because some people might be doing those similar types of things, right? But we're trying to help people get from there to the acceptance and healing stage of the grief process. So how did you handle that and move past it? This is like my favorite thing to talk about because it's like the step or many steps actually that led me to the real healing, like the person I am right now, who's like, Ooh, happy, like living a good life. You know, um, I started having some really toxic behaviors in the relationship. That's when the real toxic behaviors started forming because they were, I want to say like mechanisms to protect myself. But like reactive abuse. Like, yes. You know, like maybe you would do something to kind of lash back. Yeah. Okay. That for sure. Yeah. And that, that, oh my God, the, the, the screaming fests we would have together. That's just like a, a whole thing in itself, but I would do other things. Like I would drink constantly by drinking, of course, I mean, alcohol, and I would smoke like a pack or two of cigarettes a day. Um, I would just like watch shows all day and be hung over and eat, eat really bad food and all of those things. Plus surrounding myself with people who are superficial, who didn't give a crap about me, who just like came and went basically and, and never, were never really there for me and just, just fed this like toxic machine, you know? And once I left, or escaped, <laughs> because that's the more correct word in, in what happened to me. Um, once I left, uh, I, I got to, first of all, just be away from him, which was like the main trigger. And that allowed the doors to open to see what else is left over from this toxic relationship that is affecting me. How how can I go from this horrible, anxious, depressed state to being happy again? And I realized really quickly that I was still self-destructive after I left. I was like, once I leave, everything's going to be fine. I'm going to be free. And I was free. And it felt great in the beginning, but it didn't stop. Those toxic behaviors continued. Not at all. They continued for a really long time. Like, oh, so horrible. Like I I would drink constantly and party like an animal. And I like wanted revenge so badly. I would like sleep with all these different guys just for the sake of like, like manipulating them into liking me and then dropping them what I wanted. It was so toxic. It was so mean. Some of the guys were really nice, you know, and I didn't give a crap. Didn't care. I was like, I'm going to hurt all men's feelings. All men suck. You know, I was done. I was like, you know what? That's it. I'm going to, I'm going to become lesbian. I hate them all. And of course, turns out I wasn't lesbian, you know, (laughs) experimented with that too. Cause I was just like, you know, let's see what happens. But yeah, it was just a whirlwind. And 
it took a lot of work to figure out how to stop those things. And I have a whole long list. I also um, write, write about them in my book, but there are so many things that you can do to start figuring out how to be happy again. There's like, oh my God, it's, it's endless, but it starts with removing those toxic behaviors and removing toxic people from your life. Because as long as you keep them around, there's no room for growth. You're just going to keep falling back into the same cycle of, of basically keep like torturing yourself for no reason, like punishing yourself. Yeah. And yeah, it, you have to essentially wake up and be on the path to happiness again. And yeah, yeah. well, it's hard, but yeah. How did you, how did, okay. So you, you were doing these destructive behaviors, you were smoking, you were drinking, you were going out and doing, you know, your, your manipulation on the men to try to get revenge on your ex. Right. So these are just ways that you were coping, right? These were coping strategies for you. And you realized, look, this is not actually helping me heal. It's literally just, it's coping, but it's also not, not healthy. Like it's actually harming me. So did you substitute things? How did you get from, you know, doing all that drinking, being around all those bad people? Um, like how did you move from point A to point B? It took getting to rock bottom first. And yeah. I think everybody reaches that rock bottom where you're like, oh, wow, this is as bad as it's going to get, you know? I, I'll never forget it. I was um, studying at the time and I was, I was in Rome. Oh, I was with my roommate and I had just had another day of a horrible hangover of just awful depression. And I don't know, I don't know what happened. All of a sudden it just clicked. I was like, wow, I'm being self-destructive on purpose. Mm. I am doing this to myself on purpose. Why am I doing this? Why? Broke down in tears, you know, and I, I just couldn't believe it. It was like an enlightenment moment. Mm -hmm. And I had to substitute, like you said, the bad behaviors for good behaviors. Mm -hmm. And of course I had to stop the drinking first. That, that was like, it's a numbing machine. That's all it is. Like you're, you're just numbing the feelings that you have to feel. And Ooh, that was really hard because I had to like go through all those feelings that I was avoiding for at that point, probably a year, you know, and I experienced the feelings. I went through them. It was, you know, stage one of processing, I want to say. And I started picking up other things then really, really good things. Like I started doing yoga. I started meditating. I started reading again. I started journaling um, I would talk about what happened to me honestly and openly with so many people. I didn't care if there were strangers. I didn't care. I was like, you stranger, I'm going to tell you my whole life story. Get ready. <laughs> and they, uh, they listened and that, that validation, I think that that's a really key word in the healing process. That validation was so important for me. Um, people, whether they experienced a narcissistic relationship or not, they looked at me and they're like, whoa, you really went through something. I was like, oh my God, I really did. You're right. You know, <laughs> like, because you, in, in the relationship with the narcissist, you're taught, you're basically taught over and over again that you're not going through anything. 
this is what relationships look like. What, why, what are you complaining about? You should be thankful and all these things that you're on repeat, you know, on autopilot. And you really believe those things only to suddenly realize later that no, you went through something and it was horrible and it was traumatic and it was abusive and you're stronger for it, you know? And so, yeah. Wow. I love, yeah, I love that because you, you know, not only were you able, you hit rock bottom and I always say rock bottom is the best foundation to start rebuilding, right? It really is. So you got to this really dark place in your life where you just said enough is enough. I'm not doing this anymore. You backed off on some of the bad habits that you were having and then replaced those with better habits because there, there are probably a lot of people out there who have been through something very, very similar and then who not because like we're trying to harm ourselves, right? It's not because we intentionally trying to harm ourselves. There's always a positive intention behind what you were doing, right? You were drinking so you didn't have to feel the pain. You were going out with these men because it was helping you feel like that you were getting back at the person who hurt you, right? So to make you feel better inside. But ultimately what was happening is it was causing more damage to you and preventing you from healing. So I love that you, I mean, I hate that you had to go through that, but I love that the progression that you can see from you hit rock bottom, you said no more, I'm going to change some of these behaviors. And now I'm going to replace some of these destructive behaviors like yoga, meditation, reading, journaling, and telling your story, right? And you told your story, right? You've told it to the world, you've written a book, and now everybody or anybody who wants to read it can read it. And it is also very healing at that point. So of those things that you said, of the yoga, the meditation, reading, journaling, and telling your story, what do you feel like is has been the most helpful to you overall? Or is it a combination, maybe? Oh, wow. I mean, there are so many things, but um, I think I think the biggest thing that helped was being surrounded by people who really loved me, like my closest family, my closest friends and experiencing that type of love. Cause that, that's the unconditional love. That's the real love, you know? Yeah. And just feeling that so fully and completely and like really reprioritizing them because for the longest time in my relationship, I had pushed them away and it hurt so much because I never wanted that. You know, it was just part of the abuse, pushing the people away that I loved. But once they came back fully into my life and just like didn't judge me for for what happened and just protected me and made me feel so nurtured and, and safe. Mm-hmm. Ooh, my God. Yeah. I can't thank them enough. You know, yeah, it's a huge difference because it's not only you were replacing your bad behaviors like smoking and drinking to yoga and meditation, right? But you also replaced the bad people with the good people or the destructive people with the unconditional loving people. And that's so, so important. Now, I know and realize that there are people out there who don't have family or who don't have people around them. Um, And I think that you know, we, we really do have to find a source of love and self-worth within ourselves, no matter what, because if we don't have that, right. If we don't have people who are around us that are unconditionally loving and supportive, um, you know, we could spiral into a lot of darkness. So it's important really to find it within ourselves, but 
I think if you do have that, right, and I have that and you have that and we are fortunate to have those kinds of people in our lives, you know, what happens there is we end up leaning on people um, for support and validation and um, advice and um, fun and joy and all these wonderful things which is so, so, so helpful to healing. So if you don't have support, right, I would always say, go out and find it, right? Find a tribe, go out on social media in these like Facebook groups and go out into your community and start volunteering and meet people and do things where you can create a tribe just like that. For sure. Yeah. And I should also say that it's all those other things like doing yoga or getting yourself a good slice of cake or like going (laughs) for a walk, like those things that make you feel good about yourself, those things that make you feel like you, oh God, does that just like build you up again and give your self-esteem back? Really? Like after I came back from Egypt, I hadn't done the things I love for so long and being able to do those things just like I was like, oh my God, I have all this energy, and all this love to give. I have this great support system. I'm just going to like throw back out in the world. Here you go. Here you go world, you know, like making other people feel good again. Cause that's, that's the essence of who I am, or at least I'd like to think so, you know, and that just came flooding back in doing the things that I loved again, you know? Yeah. That's a really great point because like, it's not always just about like doing the, the, the breathing and the meditation and the yoga, like those are wonderful things. Like I love those things too, but there's something to be said for just enjoying your life, right? Because when you were part of that relationship, that was taken away. It was like whatever they wanted and however they wanted, where they wanted to go, what they wanted to eat. And, you know, so at some point, we end up losing ourselves in that because we don't really get to enjoy the things that we like. We may forget what we like. We may have been brainwashed to believe we don't even like it. I can still remember my, my ex never brought me flowers and I started like, I liked flowers, but I started to believe that I didn't like flowers. Flowers die and they're a waste of money. And, you know, so that all that brainwashing that started. So now I go buy myself flowers. Like I literally We'll go to the store, flowers, oh, these are pretty. And I just get them and I cut them and I put them in vases and set them around my house because they make me happy. And I don't need someone else to bring me flowers so that I can be happy. I can do it myself. So did you find that you like had to kind of rediscover some things that you enjoyed or that you liked because it was, you know, removed from your life? I think they just came back almost automatically because that that inner voice of mine was like you're free you're free the shackles are gone you're free you know <laughs> like but like the genie you know and like the lad is like free yeah. at last you know <laughs> so I just did everything and anything like I I um I just like completely forgot about this but I literally tried skinny dipping, for example. I was like, you know what? He was always like so controlling about what I wore. Look at what I'm going to do. I'm just going to like jump into the water, into the lake and naked. And I don't care, you know, (laughs) just for fun. Like just, I had to experience and live and be free. And those like, I mean, I'm not suggesting that you should go skinny dipping to make yourself feel better. But like, I, for, for me, it was just so liberating among many other things, you know? So just like try everything, do anything that makes you feel good experiments. You know, right. I learned a lot of new things along the way about myself too. Yeah. 
I think you have to um, put yourself out there sometimes. And there's fear a lot of times with that, because if we've been kind of in this cage for so long, it's like, I kind of think about it like um, people who have been put in jail, right? For like 20 years and they come out and they don't know how to survive in the real world. They have these like different behaviors they've been so used to being told what time to go to bed and what time to eat and what time to wake up and what time the lights go on right for forever and that was you know how sort of how i felt like i didn't really have a lot of choices and everything was dictated and controlled but i don't know like i feel like it's so so important for people to take action like if you're just even on the edge of thinking "Mm, i wonder if i should go skinny dipping like (laughs) just try it. Right. Like, because something in there, like something in your mind is like, Hmm, I wonder if I should do that. Why not? Right. Fear sometimes is the limiting thing. Like, Oh, people are going to judge me or people are going to think I'm crazy or people aren't going to like me or, you know, I can't do that because I can't, you know, step out of my comfort zone, whatever those things are, challenge those things a little bit, because what if you did try it? What if you tried a new, like, I don't know, a kickboxing class or something. You're like, I can't do that. I'm so weak. And, you know, if you start believing those things, how will you know, right? How will you know unless you try it? And I don't mean you have to enroll in like a year long class, but like go to one and see what it's like. And if you're like, this is not for me, then you can bolt, right? Then you don't have, you can be like, no, but at least then you have that inner knowledge. You have that guidance and you have that clarity. You're like, I tried kickboxing. I do not like it. But I tried rock climbing and I really love that because that's yeah. not like a physical contact sport, but it's like something I can use my body with or, you know, I don't know. Like, I feel like that what you're saying is like, just try something, try something new and see what yeah. you want. But that, like, there's, th- this is the, the interesting part. Like when you come out of a narcissistic relationship, you like, at least for me, I wanted to try so many things, but at the same time, I learned the power of no like mm-hmm. saying no to things like there's a fine balance between, you know, being a yes say, or just like trying everything. And then also learning, like, you know what? I don't want to go out to that social gathering. I would much prefer to make myself a hot chocolate and, you know, just watch TV. That's okay. Like you actually have to relearn how to say no, because in a narcissistic relationship, you have to say yes to everything the person says, basically. So learning no, wow, that, if that's not a life changer, I don't know what is. Yeah, I I completely agree, especially because you, you describe that really well. Like you have to have a balance between like, okay, I'm creating or maybe I'm, I don't know, unraveling or revealing my real identity here. Right. Because we kind of don't know who we are sometimes when we get out of these relationships. So it's like, okay, well, I might want to try this or somebody invites me to go do something and I want to try it. Yes. But then somebody invites me to go do something else. And I'm like, nope, I don't have any interest in doing that. I, you're basically what you're doing is you're, you're honoring yourself. You're being true to who you are, right? You're not just saying yes, because you're afraid you're going to hurt their feelings or you're going to afraid they're never going to invite you back again. Right? Like you're saying no, because you're being true to yourself. It's when we have these fears that come up about people are going to judge me or they're not going to like me. They won't want me to come again if they, if I don't go this time, right? It's when we aren't true to ourselves is really where we lose, right? Because then we end up back in those same patterns because we weren't true to ourselves in the narcissistic relationship either. 
And that's highly, highly, highly damaging. If we can't, like you said, use the power of no, right? We don't have to be mean. We don't have to be jerks about it. We can literally just say, that's not for me. Thanks. I appreciate it. But no, you know, maybe next time I'll think about it or just plain old no, right? There's a lot of power in that. I love that you brought that up. For sure. Yeah. It's it's a game changer, honestly. Like it, like you said it so well, but I got a little bit of my power back learning that I can say no. I didn't even think that was an option. I was such a, like such a people pleaser, you know? And I feel like a lot of victims of narcissistic abuse are, are people pleasers. When you learn no, like, wow, you know, just wow. Yeah, it is. It's really amazing. And I had to work on that too, because I literally would get sick to my stomach thinking about like, if I, if I, if it was going against what I really wanted and what I was going to have to do, like if someone invited me to do something and I really didn't want to go, but I was fighting in internally because I felt so guilty about it, or I felt so, so like awful about having to say no, but that is really where we have, um, like you said, it's, um, people pleasing, but it's also codependency behavior because what we're doing is we are putting other people before us. We are literally betraying ourselves for the sake of someone else. Now, I'm not saying there aren't times in your life where you have to put other people first. You may have to do that, especially if you have children or something like that. You may have to, or in a relationship that you're committed to, you may have to stand up and say, you know what? I really don't want to go do this thing with his friends, but I'll go because, you know, I love him and I'm going to hang out and, you know, just suck it up for the night. So there may be times that you have to do that, those kinds of things. But if it's truly going against what you believe or what your needs are or what you want, then it becomes self-betrayal. Then it's you are betraying yourself for the sake of someone else or someone else's feelings. And I think that that's important to note and be aware of if those kinds of behaviors are showing up after you're trying to heal from emotional abuse or narcissistic abuse. So sure. Well, great. So one other question that I had for you was, um, what advice would you give younger women when it comes to avoiding ending up in an abusive, abusive relationship like you were in? If you could give anybody some advice. How to avoid. Hmm. Well, there are like a million things I could say, but I think a huge reason why I ended up in such a horrible relationship at such a young age was the fact that I had zero self-value. So my God, just like whoever's listening, believe me when I say you're so valuable, you know, there are some people in this world who will make you feel otherwise, but it's just not the case you know, and you should just work on the things that make you feel like you and surround yourself with amazing people who build you up rather than bring you down and make you feel really bad about yourself. And you just have to, you know, believe in you. And that takes a lot of work. It's so easy to say that, right? But it takes a lot of work. And I don't know. I just... I have this like thought that just a random thought actually about like how 
um, I was so like, I was in, in such a bad state that I actually thought at the time that maybe getting married to the narcissist or um, having kids with him would fix things, for example. And I like, that's how far gone I was. Like, that's how little value I, I had that I thought that having a kid would fix things. And I could not have been more delusional, you know, and I'm, I'm not trying to make anybody feel bad. Like I know Allison, you, for example, you, you also, you had, you got married and you had kids with a narcissist and that's, that's just the way it worked out and things worked out okay for you and your kids are, are great too. But that all stems from this lack of self-value and lack of self-esteem and this weird society we live in where women are like, you know, kind of like victims and, and you have to like always prove yourself over and over again. And just, it takes so much work and just believe in the process, believe in you. And it's all going to work out the way it's supposed to at the end of the day. And if you did get into a horrible relationship with a narcissist and you managed to get out, kudos to you. Don't feel bad about the fact that you ended up in such a terrible relationship. It's not your fault. These things happen and you you can grow from it and become an amazing person and don't feel guilty about it because I've, I've spoken to so many people who feel like stupid or like guilty or just just like like they wasted so much time but you had to go through this process in order to learn in order to grow you know so that's a whole lot of things in one but I, ho I hope that helps yeah, definitely. I think I think that is really the root of um, and even in my coaching program, the very first lesson that we talk about is loving you. It's peeling back all the layers of the things that have dimmed your light, peeling back everything that has made you feel like you were worthless. Like you said, you have valuable. I mean, you are valuable. You have worth. And that's the thing that I can tell you that till I'm blue in the face. You're valuable. You're valuable. But if you don't really feel it, if you don't really believe it, if you haven't been able to show your mind specific examples of why you are so worthy and why you are so valuable, you're just going to keep repeating those same patterns and those same um, seeking out those same kinds of relationships. So I love that you said that because I really do believe in my core that self-worth and self-love is really the base, right? That is the starting point. We have we, nothing else. We can't work on trust issues. We can't work on fear. We can't work on um, anger and things like that without that base. We have to be in a place where we learn to love ourselves. We treat and, and people are like, well, what's that look like? When we love ourselves, we treat ourselves how we would want other people to treat us. You want people to buy you flowers? Go buy them for yourself. You want somebody to take you out to dinner? Take yourself out. You want somebody to tell you nice things and talk to you nicely and tell you sweet things? Do that stuff for yourself, right? If you want somebody to commit to you, commit to yourself. Do you wake up in the morning and say, I'm gonna go for a run and then you just never do it? Like, are you committing to yourself? Are you doing the things that you say in ways that you're expecting other people to do for you in relationships? got to be doing that stuff for ourselves. That's where it starts. So I absolutely yeah. love that. So thank you for bringing that up. So anything else that's important um, that you feel like is important for listeners to know about you? Um, I, I am going to ask you about your book here in a second, but just as far as like the narcissistic piece. Anything else? Mm -hmm. hmm. I think that um, 
no matter how much you educate yourself about narcissists, mm -hmm. that there's a chance that you'll end up in a relationship with one anyway. And you can't protect yourself always, you know? And if it does happen, let it be a learning experience. That's what I want to say. Okay. Because I know for a fact that I had a lot of warning signs, a lot of people telling me, hey, he seems like a bleep <laughs> or he seems like a little crazy, you know? And uh, I had all those warning signs and I didn't care. I yeah. didn't care. I was like, I'm just going to do this. Yeah. And it had to happen. So um, another thing I wanted to say, last thing I promise. <laughs> oh, you're fine. Is, um, I, I came out of this with a lot of self-work, not just be, look analyzing the relationship, but looking at all the things that led up to that point, you know? So I really feel like if I didn't analyze like my childhood, my relationship with my parents, my, my siblings, my anybody, you know, I, I wouldn't have been able to get to this point, you know? So am I saying get a therapist? Maybe if you think that works for you, I personally think therapy is great. Um, or try journaling or, or anything, just, just put in the effort to look inside. Cause as long as you're just numbing or just, you know, you know, just doing all the things that are not good for you, there's no self-development. Yeah. I, you know, I, so yeah, it's, it's work. Yeah, that is great. And I love that because a lot of times people say, well, how long is it going to take for me to feel better? And it's like, it's not about the time. It's about the work. It's about what you do with the time because the time's passing anyway, right? So you could have just been doing everything that you've been doing prior to the healing stuff and being self-aware and, and checking those self-reflection things. You could have just been doing what you did. You could have been just drinking and, and smoking and going out with the toxic people and doing all these things over nine years or you, or 10 years, or you could have done it what you did and you could have done the healing work to help you get to where you are today. So I think that's so important. And thank you so much for bringing that up because being in awareness, reflecting on things, getting a hold of a therapist or a coach or doing journaling or anything like, it's just a matter of taking action, doing something to help yourself. So thank you very much. So one question I always ask all of my uh, guests before we wrap up is, can you share something with us about you personally that not a lot of people know about you? Whoa, putting me on the spot. <laughs> um, hmm. <laughs> I have so many random things that come to mind, actually. It's kind of funny. Um, I think... Uh, not a lot of people know that I enjoy playing a lot of instruments. instruments? <laughs> yeah. Really? Like I, I play um, guitar and ukulele, um, a lot of string instruments. Yeah. And um, actually great part of the healing process too, playing, getting to play again, funnily enough, because it's something I didn't do when I was in the relationship with that guy, but uh god when I got to play instruments again woo and got to sing again which was great so that that was uh awesome and uh love it and hey learning an instrument maybe that's a good healing tactic <laughs> you know what that's not something anybody's ever brought up before and I really like it 
<laughs> so thanks. All right. So Maggie, again, thank you so much for being here and sharing your story and all of the things that you've done to try to help yourself and then to help others. Um, where can people find you? Where can they find your book and connect with you if they want to? Um, you can connect with me on Instagram. Um, and you can also write me an email if you'd like to get any advice or just like, like to, to reach out to me. Um, I should note though, that I really try to keep social media limited just because, um, I'm in a stage in my life where I need to like be kind of more in the real world. I spend a lot of time on social media and, uh, but yeah, I do check in every now and again. So you can definitely reach out to me there. Okay. And yeah. Where, where can they find your book? Um, Amazon, good old Amazon. It's called Escaping the Egyptian Narcissist by Maggie Petrocki. And I will include all of that, plus the contact information for Maggie in the show notes. So please reach out if you need support. And thank you for being here. Thank you so much for having me, Alice. And I really appreciate it. It was so good to see you again. You as well. Thank you for being here with me today in the Emotional Abuse Recovery Podcast. I hope you found value here with me. If this podcast episode was helpful to you, I'd love for you to hit subscribe and leave me a review. My goal is to help you go from feeling stuck to set free. You can find me on Instagram and Facebook, and you can check out whentearsleavescars.com for more resources and information to help you with your own emotional abuse recovery. Until next time, here's to believing in